Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Toad. Toad is one of the co-hosts of the Tower Power Hour podcast, uh, one of the more popular libertarian-themed podcasts. I shouldn't say it's just a libertarian podcast. It's also like a silly, uh, you know, humor type podcast. of show, so they don't always talk about just political topics. So it's a lot of dicking around, good stuff, very entertaining uh, stuff there. Really appreciate Toad joining me today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Toad. Toad is one of the hosts of the Tower Power Hour podcast, available, of course, on all top podcasting platforms. For those of our listeners... Of the Kelly Patrick Show, who don't have any idea what the Tower Power is, Tower Power Hour is Toad. Actually, if it's all right, before we jump into introducing exactly who you are, Toad, um, could yeah. you tell our listeners about the Tower Power Hour podcast? What is it, um, and why would it be appealing to someone? Uh, absolutely, yeah. So I, we were talking uh, a little while ago, and you were saying that you like to dick around on your show basically. So that's all we do on our show is yeah. we're a bunch of libertarians. I, I think we're all basically, we're kind of like ANCAP leaning, even though Jose says he's an agorist, we're all kind of in that realm of libertarianism. We all like offensive comedy and we just like to dick around, as you said, and that's what we do every uh, Wednesday night. We got a show tonight. Um, the way it started and the way where we got the name from was because a bunch of us, it was us plus like 70 additional people Early last year, we started really ramping up uh, what we call towering on Twitter, where we'd be hitting like journalist tweets and politicians tweets and stuff. And we'd 
tower them, by which I mean we would string together a series of single letter tweets so we could spell something out that was more offensive than what you could get away with on Twitter in any other way. And it was effective for a while. It got journalists to like report people, like cancel their own accounts and really like flip out in some of these cases. Got some like local politicians to do that and stuff like that. But at some point, uh, some of the guys that were in that group, the guys that are all on my podcast, now it was, uh, it started out with uh, myself, Cole, uh, Jose was in there right away, but I don't think he was on like the very first episode of the show, but it was us. And then uh, Nick Ashley, who left the show about 50 episodes in or so, we were kind of like the core of the show when it started. And we basically said, we're going to take this form of like shit posting on Twitter because we wouldn't just do towering, we'd be making like aggressive uh, kind of funny tweets, like up to the line that we thought we could get away with, even though of course we've all been banned from Twitter at this point, we decided to take that and do it in podcast form. But it was that sort of combined with the fact that we kind of just wanted to hang out with the bros again. Like, I know that's something that's been missing from my life since I like started working and stuff like that. So it's kind of like going back to like high school or college from here, just hanging out with guys and just, anything fly you're just letting it fly man you just don't care what you're saying and that's what we do on that show which you said we're on every platform which uh, unfortunately we did get our youtube nuked uh, in april in the middle of our genocide tournament <laughs> that, that, that's that's what we wound up doing it we only had one active strike at that point and we had had a couple of strikes before that but they just nuked the entire channel at that point so i did create a new one but uh, we were mostly, uh, we direct everybody to Odyssey. All of our episodes are on Odyssey. And I think they are all still on Spotify somehow. We've had video on Spotify for a while now. Um, and they're on like the major audio platforms. They're on all of those. It's just YouTube that's being a bunch of faggots right now. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's, I mean, that's basically the show. It's offensive comedy combined with libertarianism. I have uh, listened exclusively to the Tower Power Hour on Spotify, so I was assuming they were avail the, the shows were available on all top podcasting platforms. But of course, oh, yeah, yeah. you guys not shying away from talking about anything. Yeah, results in, sure. results in you not being on every platform. Right. Um, yeah. Somehow we haven't been canceled from the other platforms yet. And part of the reason why we got canceled from YouTube, I think is because we were monetizing it at the time. So we did have the super chats and we were monetized for several months, I would say something like that up until like the middle of this year. when we finally, uh, we lost it with when we had Adam Kokesh on and he literally said on the show that this would be our last episode on YouTube. And he was correct. <laughs> I, I was so. fortunate. I got to interview Adam Kokesh, I think twice. And it was right after he had blown up on the Mises Caucus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was around the same time. Yeah, we, we wanted to get him on just because he was in the main. Like, yeah, everybody was paying attention to him at that point. He had just gone completely crazy. We're like, let's just let this guy come on and we won't even talk about this stuff at all. And we'll just we'll have him choose who he wants to genocide and just like do what we do on the show, you know? Okay. Um, very interesting. Yeah. I, I do. I said to you prior to us recording that I wanted to do like a Toad 101 type episode. And I do want to yeah. get into that with you and your specific uh, political evolution and, you know, all that fun stuff, where you're from, all that type of stuff. But while we're talking about the Tower Power Hour, um, if someone's tuning into the Kelly Patrick show right now and they don't know at all what an ANCAP is, uh, yeah. Or, you know, what type of topics you guys could be discussing 
that, you know, are so offensive. Uh, examples could be, I listened to one episode, um, I forget the name of the guy, but you, Clint, you and Clint and, and you know, Jose, mm-hmm. everyone was talking about, um, I don't want to say Holocaust deniers, because I really don't think anyone was <laughs> denying the Holocaust. No, that doesn't narrow down which episode you're talking about. Either, <laughs> but uh, uh, there is this, and you tell me what you think of my description of this, okay? After World War II, um, many of the concentration camps in, you know, Poland and the different parts of Europe were um, documented, and the the narrative that was uh, forever permanently ingrained into the history books was um, the the documentation was done by, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but the communists. Yeah. Um, yeah. To a large extent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always going to be sort of the, like the victors write the history basically, I think is what we're, we're getting at here. And it was the U S and the Soviet union won world war two. So I, I believe that that is correct. That that is largely what happened. So no one would suggest that I heard on your podcast at all that like a bunch of Jews were not killed or anything remotely close to that. Um, but I heard you guys articulate, which I thought was articulated pretty well, is there's no reason to think these evil communists, um, you know, Stalin or or Nikita Khrushchev or, you know, Mm -hmm. the USSR, um, that they would not uh, um, try to demonize the one side while making themselves look as as best as they can. I mean, hell... um, going back further, but, you know, the Holodomer in the 30s and, you know, all sorts of yeah. different historical parts of the USSR was conveniently hidden. And we didn't really know any of the details until, you know, the, the well after, actually, I think until like year 2000 or, you know, that type of stuff. So a lot of details were hidden. So I don't think I would not describe you guys at all or any of your guests as being holo, Holocaust deniers. Have you actually, have you guys ever interviewed an actual Holocaust denier. I would say we have not. Um, yeah. So, and I would say that, yeah, what you said about the uh, communists. Uh, yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And you could say the same thing about the U S government as well. Like they constantly lie and they have reasons to lie about this too. And with the Holocaust, it's like, that is like the one genocide that you can't talk about at all. You can't question the official narrative at all. And that correct, none of us are actually Holocaust deniers, even though we definitely joke about it quite a bit. And you're probably talking about the fact that we did an episode where the whole thing was about uh, Holocaust revisionism with Ryan Dawson. And people say that he's a Holocaust denier, but he is not. Uh, He's been on our show and he is that show. He broke down exactly like what he thinks about the Holocaust. And none of us are saying that there weren't, you know, a huge amount of Jews that were killed during that. We all agree that that is the case. We were questioning a lot of the specifics about, um, you know, like the bars of soap made with uh, pieces of humans. And we were questioning the gas chambers being at some of the camps and things like that. And some of the really uh, like embellished stories, a lot of those things we don't think are actually true. And to an extent, uh, we think that a lot of these uh, camps weren't like explicitly death camps, that they were more like work camps and that they didn't have like the resources to maintain them and stuff. So a lot of people starved to death that way. So that's, that's kind of Ryan Dawson's position on it. I would kind of agree with that as well. And 
I forgot when I was uh, talking about the show, I should shout out, because uh, I mentioned Jose and Cole, but I should shout out uh, Clint. You mentioned him and uh, Reed Coverdale, who people also <laughs> claim is a Holocaust denier. Uh, there are other hosts that we have on the show. And we have Top Lobster is kind of like a main fixture on the show as well. And he does all of our art. So we have kind of a big gang at this point. Yeah, I, I think it's very fascinating. And you... Clint articulated it very well during that episode, and you just did also. But the fact that it's a type of topic where, you know, if someone's tuning into the Kelly Patrick show today for this episode and they hear us talking about this, they may Mm -hmm. be like, oh, not supposed to talk about that, you know, or like, oh, these these guys, Kelly's lost it. You know, just the fact that we are, and I would say Ryan Dawson, correct me if I'm wrong, is probably the most extreme uh, figure that you guys have spoken with, and he's been on many times, but I heard him saying, I mean, he doesn't even deny that who knows if it was 6 million, maybe it was 4 million, or, you know, however many million were killed by the Nazis. Mm. He's not suggesting that did not happen, right? Right. Um, he, he may have said that he probably thinks that the, uh, the count is lower than what the official count is. But yeah, he's definitely not suggesting that it didn't happen. He's simply saying um, some of these, as we know, when it comes to war, propaganda often comes up with these stories that, that tugs at the heartstrings and, and justifies military yeah. interventionism. And, and that's mm-hmm. in large part yeah. what the libertarian or anar- anarcho-capitalist, whatever you want to say, but the anti-war uh, faction. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah exactly. That's what happens every time. It's happening right now with Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, so it's like you can't, yeah, you can't question, I mean, the Holocaust is kind of a whole different thing where it's like, why can't you question anything about this? Well, it's probably because there are some holes in the official narrative that are not exactly true. But yeah, in our lifetime, we've seen other things. They always try to tug at your heartstrings like this. Like you had the, the babies in incubators in Iraq uh, during, I think that was Iraq War One. I, I want to say, because mm-hmm. I don't remember it like personally, but I know that was like during my lifetime and I was like, young kid and i think yeah some of us would remember that so that's kind of more recent and then really recent is this uh woman being killed for not wearing a hijab story in iran i think that's a similar scenario there where it's the government is beating the war drums man and they're trying to yeah tug on the heartstrings again and i think that um what they're saying happened in that situation uh, is probably not exactly what they say it is we live in a country, of course, where the Democrats and the Republicans are the two parties, and they happen to agree on a large percentage of foreign policy, uh, regardless of whether or not people who hate Biden or the ones who hate Trump, whether they want to admit it. Yeah, uh, when, when Biden's in office, the Trump supporters will say, oh, look, he's fucking everything up when it comes to the war. And then exact same yeah. thing, vice versa. It could literally be them doing the same thing. And the Republicans will say, oh, the Democrats fuck that yeah. up and then vice versa. So it's like uh, uh, it's just red versus blue, which doesn't make much sense. So the Tower Power Hour podcast um, addresses, among many other things, but foreign policy from a strictly um, – I guess you could say unbiased anti-war type perspective. Yeah. uh, We're all definitely hardcore anti-war on the show. We kind of focus more on comedy than politics. We, we spend a lot of time making dick jokes and just being a bunch of assholes basically. (laughs) 
bro humor, I guess you could say we're, we're a bunch of retards, but there will be times where we definitely go like pretty hard into the uh, philosophy and into some of the current events and stuff like on the Adam Kokesh one, he left the show and then we had like an extra hour and a half of serious discussion after that, which usually doesn't happen. But Clint brought up the uh, DeSantis versus Disney thing. And we talked about that for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. So we do have times where we go into that quite a bit. It's, it's definitely a mix on the show. Okay. Um, so that is, once again, the Tower Power Hour podcast. Um, Toad, if we could backtrack a little and we could introduce who is who are you, Toad? Uh, where did you grow up at? What prompted you to um, be politically inclined, pursue uh, this as really a hobby, I guess, and something that you're so passionate about? Um, who is Toad? And, and how did you come up with the name Toad? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So the name uh, comes way earlier than me becoming a libertarian or anything like that. Uh, the name was a nickname that was given to me way back in uh, early in high school because uh, I'm a short dude and I had a bowl haircut at the time in the late 90s. So people thought I looked like Toad from Mario, the Super Mario character, the mushroom dude. So that's how it started. And then I just kept the nickname. And one of my college roommates was a guy from my high school, one of my friends from high school. So it carried on into college as well. And then it just, uh, I mean, people from high school and college still call me that to this day. And there are other people that call me that as well. But I decided to use that in the libertarian sphere because it didn't really catch on uh, in like my career, like in the work environment. They've given me like other nicknames and stuff there. So I was like, yeah, I mean, people are probably going to be able to find out who I am, maybe. And it might become a problem if they find my podcast, but it's me staying like a little bit anonymous in the uh, in the Liberty world. So people know me as Toad in the Liberty world as well. Um, and yeah, uh, I grew up in Massachusetts. I'm still in Massachusetts. Uh, I've been like on the South Shore of Massachusetts for most of my life. Um spent some time in like central mass for a little bit. Um, I'm kind of in the Boston area now, which is unfortunate because the COVID craziness was pretty rampant here and kind of still is in a lot of ways. Obviously uh, I'm in a progressive hellhole, but as a city, Boston, because it's, a, it's actually a small city, it's not as bad as some of the big blue cities. Like it is definitely not New York. Um, it's there's, I think there's less crime and, it's cleaner than New York, LA, San Francisco, that type of shit. So you won't be getting any of that. Like Chaz doesn't exist in Boston either. So it's not Seattle or Portland. So, I mean, it's been my home. Uh, I should, I'm thinking about moving to New Hampshire potentially because uh, it is close. And I know a lot of the guys up there, Reed is up there now. Uh, so that would probably be the move that I'd make if and when I do do that. But Massachusetts is where my family is and it's been where I have been my whole life. So that's uh, the state of uh, yeah where I am, where I'm from. Um, I became a libertarian. I think I probably was a libertarian um, for a while before I realized that that's what I was. And I kind of just thought that that might be what I was. Uh, prior to that, I was a Republican as far as like, I think I agree with these guys because I just knew kind of instinctually that the left was completely wrong on economics. And I didn't agree with um, much of their cultural shit either. So I was opposed to that. So I was, I always hated the left. So I was like, I must be a Republican. Yeah. Which again, was kind of like, a, uh, you know, it was uncommon in this area. Uh, I would say, 
Um, but it was something you were still allowed. It was in the Tom Woods three by five card. You would say like, oh, you can be a Republican as long as you're like an establishment Republican. So, you know, I initially supported uh, Iraq War II after uh, 9-11 because I didn't know enough. I was 16, didn't know what was going on. And I was like, yeah, this makes sense. Like these bad guys did this to us. We got to go get these bad guys. Then when I was in college, I was with a lot of people that were saying that I was wrong about that and they were opposing it. And you could see at that point that the weapons of mass destruction narrative was bullshit. Uh, this was like 2005, 2006, kind of in that area. And I kind of started questioning things. Uh, thought I was still a Republican, even though I was, I was pretty opposed to war in general. And I was always like a free market dude since I read like Adam Smith in high school and stuff like that. And the, uh, his arguments uh, in that vein just kind of spoke to me and I just kind of, I felt like it just made sense to me instinctually, but um, the libertarian stuff came into play uh, in 2016 specifically uh, in a way I could kind of say that Trump kind of made me get into it because I was very apolitical, even though we did have some of these discussions about what was going on with the war and stuff like that um, in the two thousands, like, Growing up through the 90s, 2000s, it was kind of like it was a nice time where politics did not infiltrate every aspect of life like it does now. So I was kind of just apolitical for the most part, even though thinking I was a Republican and voting Republican when I did vote. But um, 2016, yeah, I saw Trump come onto the scene. and It was like, what the hell is going on here? Because I had always thought that Trump was a Democrat which he was like a New York Democrat up until that point. I thought he was running as a Democrat and I was just like, oh, okay, this is kind of a joke. And then like, no, he's running as a Republican. I'm like, what is going on? And then he kept getting more traction, kept winning. And then it was like, oh, he's actually like dominating the primary. So I kind of felt like I had to figure out, like learn some stuff about why is this happening? Like what's going on here? And at that point, thinking I was probably more of a libertarian, I started getting into more like libertarian stuff at the same time, following the 2016 libertarian race. And John McAfee uh, really caught my attention. He was he was the one that, uh, that really got me in there. And I was like, this guy, like he's making a lot of sense as far as what he's saying, but he's also a complete badass. So I'm like, is, like if this is what libertarianism you know, entails, like I think I agree with much of what this guy is saying. I got to look into it more. And around, yeah, right around that same time, I started getting into the podcast and the literature. So I started listening to Lines of Liberty first because I just looked for a libertarian podcast. That was the first one I found. And I, uh, I knew that Ron Paul had uh, been like big in like the libertarianism sphere for a while. So I read Ron Paul's Revolution and reading that book. Uh, I was just like, I agree with everything that he's saying in this book. Like I must be a libertarian like everything about this totally makes sense and then it just went from there i started getting into more of the stuff started listening to part of the problem dave smith pretty soon after that and then the typical uh six months later i uh would classify myself as an ancap at that point after listening to dave and then reading some rothbard uh specifically anatomy of the state i was just like yeah like logically these arguments make too much sense so i became an ancap then I went through, you know, that like autistic phase of being an ANCAP for quite a while. And then once the COVID uh, situation uh, sprung up, I, I guess people have said that I've changed like even in the last like year or so on Twitter. And I don't think that I've really changed my philosophy, at least not the core of it. I still think that I'm an ANCAP, but I do think that there are um, 
if you just focus on theory alone, I think there are things that you completely miss as far as like, you need to address like the issues that are going on right now. Like the COVID stuff came in, like, what are you going to do? Like I was uh, threatened with job loss if I didn't get the vaccine, threatened with like never being able to go to a concert again, potentially, or, you know, go out to eat or things like that. Unless you get the vaccine, it's like, well, you have to decide what you're going to do now. Like the, the NAP is not going to save you in that situation. Like there, you got to figure out like what actions can you take while still, you know, uh, preferably not uh, actually violating the NAP or doing anything like that. But if you know what I'm saying, so I think I'm sort of more in line with like the Hoppians on that. And I did read um, Democracy, the God that Failed, I want to say back in somewhere around 2016 as well. And that book really spoke to me as well, because I had been like kind of opposed to the majority of the culture of the left, even though I was like, I was pro free speech, which of course they are not at this point. And I was always pro like edgy comedy and shit like that. Um, so from that aspect of it, yeah, I mean, that just kind of stayed the same, but the, the Hoppe stuff did speak to me as far as like, yeah, he's absolutely right about like fan, the importance of family and uh, like what causes civilizational decline, the way he tied that into like time preference. I was that, I actually read his book before I read like Mises uh, or got into like the more economic uh, Rothbard stuff. So it was, uh, I thought he laid, Hoppe laid it out pretty well. So that had an impact on me as well. And then I reread the book in 2020 and I was like, man, this is like really applicable to what's going on right now. So I guess you could say, yeah, where I am right now, I, I think I probably align with Hoppe, maybe not all of the people that classify themselves as Hoppians, but, but yeah, I'm like, I'm an anarcho-capitalist still, uh, a right-leaning libertarian anarchist, I would say. So that's the story. Okay. Um, for those of the listeners of The Kelly Patrick Show, which I hope there are many who tuned into this episode who don't know what the hell we're talking about, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Um, you emphasize there that you've always naturally been opposed to the progressive left. Yes. And that has formed, you know, some some degree of your political identity over time um, mm -hmm. and that you were drawn towards uh, Hoppe because he uh, kind of laid out a plan of how you actually have to take action. I mean, you just having these yeah. um, theories and being well read and all that is great. But if you want to positively impact society, you have to actually fucking do something. You can't just be like, oh, I've got it figured out. Uh, I read Anatomy of the State. Uh, the government is evil. Ha, I've got it. Yeah. You, if you actually want to positively impact society, you have to fucking do something. But Toad, you mm -hmm. also said there that it's very important that while doing that, you're not violating the NAP. For those of the listeners of the Kelly Patrick show mm -hmm. who don't know. Ideally, I said at least. Like, I, I do think that there, I, I think it's completely appropriate to prefer a government over a worse government if that makes sense. So like, I would much prefer DeSantis over Charlie Baker, who we have here. So, okay. I think that is perfectly in line with libertarianism. I, I would agree. I'd much rather have DeSantis over Bashir here in Kentucky. Um, mm. But for those of our listeners who don't know, you, you've described this ANCAP identity and you even said it, right-leaning, if anything. But you did emphasize yeah. that it's important not to violate the NIP, NAP. What is the NAP? And is my assessment correct when I, I, I am clarifying by saying 
not violating the NAP is kind of what separates someone such as yourself from falling toward like fascism or that type of thing. I mean, people, of course, who would be critical of an ANCAP would start to call you a fascist without even knowing what the fuck you stand for. But I, I right. would say the NAP is what differentiates someone such as yourself from someone that far on the right. What is the NAP? And do you agree with my assessment of what I said? Um, yeah, I, I would agree, uh, again, with, with the caveat that I would say that, yeah, like the NAP is like the ideal situation. But I, like I said, I do think that it's, it's appropriate to prefer lesser violations over worse ones. Um, and the NAP is the non-aggression principle. So it is rooted in uh, the idea. I, I consider morality to be objective, which I think uh, there are a lot of libertarians who don't agree with me on that. But I think it is actually pretty black and white, like what is a violation of somebody's property and what isn't. So in essence, it starts with the fact that you own yourself. So nobody else can uh, violate or harm your physical body in any way. So that would be a violation of the non-aggression principle. And you'd be able to defend yourself against that, uh, potentially uh, retaliate against that and, or seek damages if, uh, if there are damages there. And it then extends to anything that you can then own as yourself. So the rest of the property that you acquire uh, legitimately, let's say. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's how I would explain what the NAP is. So basically don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. Right. And then you are consistent with what your version of, I guess, libertarianism is or anarcho-capitalism. It has to, in order to be consistent and to be principled in your eyes, it's important that it doesn't slip toward, as much as you said, DeSantis is preferable to Massachusetts um, current governor and of course- Charlie Baker, yeah. And also uh, Andy Bashir here in Kentucky fucking sucks. Um, Yeah. I'd much rather have DeSantis. At the same time, if you had to, you could also probably provide some criticisms of where DeSantis leans maybe a little bit uh, too much toward the authoritarian side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, the worst criticisms that I would have of him would apply more if he was in the federal government because he is, I'm pretty sure that on foreign policy, he is a pretty big hawk and he is very pro-Israel, so... I would uh, definitely not want him to be in the federal government in in any manner whatsoever. Uh, but as a governor, I think he's been fairly good. Uh, certainly, much better than most of the rest of the governors on the uh, the COVID stuff. So, a mixed bag with him. I'm sure there are some policies within Florida that he's not good on either. But um, then you also get into the aspect of it where it's. You're kind of dealing with then the fact that uh, there's all this like regulatory capture and like the concept of like what Rothbard talks about in the progressive era, where you have business colluding with the state and these businesses are so big that at what point are they just an arm of the state? Sure. Which is what uh, Clint was talking about in that uh, episode after Adam Kokesh left of our show, where we were talking about the Disney thing. And like, what do we think about DeSantis uh, removing Disney's special status. And I think for the most part, we were all at at least fine with it. And all of us are kind of taking the position, fuck Disney, even though, even though we're not totally uh, on board with DeSantis uh, necessarily doing things like that either. But 
Would you say that is one of the main similarities you would have? If you had to pick a similarity, what Toad's political ideology is, if you had to uh, choose a slim similarity to someone like a, maybe a Bernie bro or someone like that, a principled Bernie bro if they exist, um, which I'm sure they do, to be fair. Some, there's some who believe in you know, a, a social safety, uh, a safety net and you know, um, mm-hmm. they are anti-war, things like that. Um, yeah, but you would agree that the concept of like corporate welfare and that type of stuff is all very bad for society. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Opposed to corporate welfare. Yeah. So I think I would be in line with the Bernie bros on that. Um, I think that there are, and it's kind of rare, but there are certain leftists who are good on a lot of things, like you said, like war, uh, corporate welfare, and a lot of them tended to be pretty good on the COVID stuff as well. And I would consider like that kind of group of leftists, which would include like Jimmy Dore and uh, to some extent, even like Bill Maher, stuff like that. Uh, Caitlin Johnstone, even though she's a communist, uh, people like that, like I would consider them red pill because they understand the nature of the state, at least to the extent uh, with like how evil it is. And they sort of understand kind of the concept of, I guess what I would call like the regime or the cathedral as like uh, mold bug kind of terms that occurs Yarvin, where it's kind of the, the state and like all of the different arms of the state that do its bidding, which are like large corporations, uh, large universities and the corporate press. So these like good leftists tend to, push back on all of those institutions. It's interesting when I go through my uh, everyday life, you know, I teach kids jujitsu a couple days a week and I have friends, parents of the kids I teach. And, you know, I've got people that I know in different ways throughout my regular everyday life. And a lot of times I'll encounter a, a leftist. And it's so interesting when you meet someone in person, you want to try to find common ground. Mm. especially if you like them, you know, you don't have to even agree with anything. If you like someone on a personal level in real life, um, at least I do, I naturally try to find like common ground. And it's, it's sometimes I do find a leftist kind of like what you're describing, who sounds pretty good on certain issues. They would acknowledge, um, you know, maybe uh, war is bad and that we always have an excuse to go to war, the military industrial yeah. complex, things like that. Um, but then there mm-hmm. are certain issues that it's just kind of like, I, I just can't get past. I mean, whether it's the, the, the Trump uh, Russia collusion thing or, or what it is, uh, Joe Rogan taking horse do warmer or, you know, there's just certain little, little triggers where I'm like, Oh God, you just fucking lost me. Uh, do you find yeah. the same? Do you have many left, big-time progressive lefties as friends in your personal life? And do you find similar obstacles? <sighs> I, mm, uh, it's kind of a tough question. I kind of don't, at least, like, it seems to me that, like, the closest friends that I have that I still have from, like, high school and stuff, they are they're not, like, that hardcore, like, one way or the other politically. And it's almost like they're kind of they're either apolitical or they're kind of like libertarian leaning almost in a way like they don't uh, yeah they don't tend to have like an issue with what my beliefs are i guess uh and i mean that's good i guess so like the closest people that i associate with are kind of fine with that and don't really disagree with me in that crazy of a way they're not yeah they're not too insane on any of those things and 
Um, like my mom and my sister, uh, they're not that insane on it either. My sister totally changed like during the COVID stuff as well. My mom was already like kind of based, like she could see you through the bullshit for the most part, like before the stuff even happened, but maybe it's because she was listening to me a lot, but my sister was really, uh, she was like pro Hillary, like way off in that like democratic establishment land like yeah russia collusion trump derangement that type of thing and then a couple of months into the covid stuff after like a month before that she had been like yelling at me because i was still seeing our parents you know when the like when the covid stuff first started happening i didn't stop and my parents just didn't really care even though my dad is kind of establishment democrat he just didn't care that much about like the fact that we were because i i see my parents like at least once a week and we I, we just continued doing that. He didn't really care. My mom was definitely not going to stop doing that. And my sister was yelling at me at first. And then a couple months into it, she just completely changed. And I think it was at some point where like some mask Nazi like went at her for not wearing a mask. And she definitely had this thing where uh, because uh, she has a master's in psych. So she does stuff in the psychology realm. And she had been talking about for a while, uh, the psychological impact of masks, especially on children. She was very anti-mask usage, especially mask mandates. So that like got to her pretty quickly. And then she completely changed. And by fall of 2020, she was like rooting against Joe Biden. <laughs> like, all right, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Would you consider that one of your greatest W's to date? Um, as much as, uh, I don't know how much I had to do with it, but I guess I had something to do with that. So yeah, that, that was a big W. Yeah. Just, uh, if I had any of that, yeah. Influence on my immediate family members. Yeah. What, what is your goal? That's an interesting angle. What is your goal? Cause I, I, I think on occasion, like what I've thought, like, why is it unmotivated to do these types of episodes? My wife's from Cuba and she left in 2014. So, of course, she has very strong fucking political opinions. And we do episodes um, sometimes, yeah. and they're interesting and shit like that. So, I mean, we've talked. Like, why do we do this? Why is it important to speak your mind and to let everybody you know, although you may be annoying the shit out of family, <laughs> me family members, yeah. friends you grew up with on social media, mm. anything. But, I mean, ultimately... Why is it important to speak your mind and what is the ultimate goal? Yeah. Well, and I should also point out, like, as far as back at like the friends question real quick, I should also say that I've made friends through like the libertarian stuff through the Liberty movement. So those, I mean, those people largely agree with me on stuff. Those people are all friends of mine. So that's, uh, and maybe like some of my closer friends at this point too. So that's also a good thing. You, you make new friends that are more aligned with you in that way. But, um, yeah, what's the goal and what's most important? Um, I still think like personal goals are kind of the most important thing. And mine would still be to like get married, have a family. I think that's like one of the most important things that you can do because I think family counters the state. And if you can have numerous children and raise them right to be good people, hopefully libertarians, although I wouldn't like totally impose that on them. But if they, you know, see you as a role model or whatever, I think it would wind up sort of being in that vein, hopefully. So creating more people that, um, that are going to benefit the culture, I would say that's sort of what we want here. And that, and I guess sort of what you were talking about with uh, what I do with my family, I think changing minds is important, especially if you can talk to somebody, 
uh, that you're close with, like personally, might be able to change the way they think a bit if you're constantly around them and they already, you know, are friends or family with you. So, and you don't think they're going to like completely disown you or kick you out or anything like that. So changing minds, definitely important. I think being able to message to a lot of people and hoping that you can change minds that way. Cause I think that's how most of us probably got into it. So I think that is important. And, uh, along with that, um, we go back to like what I said about, uh, having a family, creating a family, uh, you want to be able to create an environment where that family can thrive and sort of a culture that you want uh, your family to live in and grow up in. So I think decentralization is more the way that you get to that. Um, just trying to get into a situation where you don't have um, governments that are as authoritarian just hanging over your head and ignoring the federal government, ignoring the larger governments. So possibly moving to New Hampshire or something like that. Are you married? Do you have any children? No and no. Okay. Yeah. What What are your thoughts on religion? Religion. Um, very yeah, bro- so I'm very a, broad question, I know. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Christian. Um, I grew up uh, Christian. Um, my mom actually grew up Catholic and then wound up kind of rejecting the Catholic Church, I think because she wouldn't put it this way, but it, um, like I said before, she sees through like the bullshit of all these large establishments. And I think she probably does see the Catholic uh, church as like a statist institution, even if she wouldn't put it that way. So she wound up rejecting the Catholic church. And when she like met my father or specifically met my father's mother, really, and his family, she kind of, uh, converted over to their religion, which is congregational Protestantism, which is uh, kind of a New England thing. That's what we have here. So that's sort of what I was raised on initially. And my father's like brother and his family, they all still practice uh, that. We stopped practicing, uh, like my parents, myself and my sister stopped. And then I was, I would consider myself an atheist or an agnostic. I was never really like a rabid atheist or anything like that, but I just kind of just put it aside and didn't really think the religion was important for a while when I was a teenager and through college. And then once I got back into libertarianism, I wound up being sold on the importance of religion, uh, which is similar to the importance of family as far as how it counters the state where it's um, because the state basically becomes its own religion. If you don't believe in anything else and you start worshiping its figures rather than worshiping, um, you know, like a Christian God, which would mean you're more worshiping this uh, moral ideal rather than these evil, flawed humans. So I sort of got back into it that way, realized, hey, there is something to this that because the state is always trying to undermine family and religion. I was like, well, there's got to be some importance to religion here. And I sort of got back into it, uh, kind of thought about it quite a bit, started reading Bible again and I got back into Christianity that way. So I, I have become a Christian once again after I was not for, I guess, half of my life or more than half of my life. That's wild. That sounds kind of similar to me. I was raised Catholic and for years I really faded away from the church. Yeah, the rebellious um, teenager phase. I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm 39. How old are you? 37. Okay, so we're right there. Um, yeah. But then over the past really couple years, um, influenced in large part by my wife, 
Yanni, who, as I said, escaped communist Cuba. She has, of course, yeah. very strong opinions on this type of shit. She was yeah. always, you know, ingrained, uh, you know, communism hates Christianity, right? Mm. So yeah. it's almost mm-hmm. like the more, the further to the left you get, the more anti Christianity or religion you are. You've got to worship. And Fidel Castro, you know, he always said he didn't want to be yeah. like a, 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 he didn't want people to worship him. He said that, but I mean, he said all sorts of shit. He didn't mean it. <laughs> right. Um, of course. But of course, you know, communist socialist leaders, they really, as you said, Toad, they want you to worship them or whether it's he, what Fidel did, Fidel was so fucking smart. He'd be like, don't worship me. It's not about me. Let's worship Che Guevara. He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> he's try to be like Shay. So every day they had to say that. Be like Shay. And so it's yeah, very be a, be a martyr, a murderous martyr, yeah. Yeah, who hated gay people, has documented cases of writing about um how black people are lazy and less human and things like that. But be like Shay. I mean that that sounds good. Um Yeah. So I I have recently also kind of been trending back toward been going to church about every Sunday with the wife and things like that. Yeah. And I don't see myself as being the most preachy um, uh, type of Christian or anything along those lines, but right. I am also trending in that direction. And I asked, as you said, I asked the question about religion right after you brought up the concept of family. So they, I agree they're very closely mm. related also. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the state, like, I think one of the main reasons why they try to undermine it is because, uh, they, they, I think they want people to actually be more atomized so that they're not like talking about these important things with each other, with people that they form close connections with. And the state also wants to be like the safety net and they want to be the parent figure for everyone pretty much. So they don't want like the actual family to assume their, what I would consider to be like their natural roles. It's very yeah. interesting. Um, I don't know why this popped into my head, but Michael Cernovich, I've heard him speak about this uh, quite a bit, is if you want to get a wife, you want to have a family, get involved with the church. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it is a good way uh, if you are, if you're a Christian, certainly, but if, I think even if you're a libertarian, uh, yeah, it's, I, I should start going back to church. I should take my own advice because uh, I'm not actually practicing right now. But yeah, I think it is a good way to meet women who probably are more likely to share your ideals. Very interesting. So you describe yourself as trending back toward being a Christian right now, but you said yeah. you're, you're not practicing, but so that right. means you're not physically attending church, but you have been reading the Correct. Bible, the Bible. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Reading the Bible. Yeah. I'm into that again, uh, prayer, things like that. Um, sort of, uh, I, I mean, I don't really think I'm that preachy about it. Like I'm not really going to tell anybody to, become a Christian. I'm not really trying to convert anybody, but I will like speak to the positives about it. Yeah. Very interesting. The Tower Power Hour co-host. Yeah, I know. I'm a Christian, I, I'm a Christian who uh, yeah makes dick jokes all the time. <laughs> and, like, yeah, is out there dropping N-bombs constantly. That's one of your main go-tos is dropping N-bombs. Yeah, that's what we do on the show. And tonight uh, we have the final four of our slur tournament. So. Oh my God, what what does that entail? Um, so we we came up with sixteen slurs. We tried to be more like on the creative uh, end of it. So we took uh, like 
the the main ones that are all like in the lexicon and used, we kind of put up on like the Mount Rushmore and said, we're not going to, this is more Jose's idea than anybody else's. We're, all right, we're not going to use these in the tournament because they'll keep advancing, even though I was like, well, even though you know that your final four is going to be faggot, nigger, uh, retard, uh, I don't know what the fourth one might be, tranny maybe, I don't know. Put all those up there, but you still, it, it would be interesting to have those battle against each other. But we came up with like some creative ones. We got the final four tonight. So we have zipper tits is one of them, which is a zipper tits. Slur- is it Asian? Yeah, no, it is a, it is a slur specifically for it's, it's a new one, man. It's for something that's being pushed right now okay. uh, in the, in the modern culture. It is female to male trans people who have had top surgery. So they have the double mastectomy and then their tits basically get replaced with what looks like zippers when they stitch them up. (laughs) So so we have zipper tits. uh, We have moon cricket is our slur for black people that we have going on there, which is a really old timey. Is that so moon cricket? Yeah. 1800s uh, slur. It's from like the slave era, I think the slavery era. So we got that going on. That's in the final four. Uh, Hole is in the final four, which is, uh, I, I thought that we had conceptualized that, but I guess probably somebody else did before we did, but we, I think we've definitely at least popularized it because we use it a lot. And that is a slur for a woman. Oh, just uh, whole. Yeah. Oh my god. I, I'm not yeah. familiar. It's interesting when I'm watching movies with with my wife who of course is relatively new to the English language. A couple times I have found myself we're watching a movie, I hear someone casually say under their breath kike. And I pause. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I always oh. will pause it. I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, Yanni, did you hear what he said?" Whoa. And How did she, I forget? How did I forget about kike? Like, yeah, that would be in the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Yeah, cuz yeah, that was not in our tournament. We had uh, we had shekel sniffer in our tournament for for Jews, for the Jews, and uh, they got knocked out by zipper tits last week. So, so we decide we we form a democracy actually and, and vote on these. Uh, even though we're all opposed to democracy, we uh, we use democracy to determine uh, what advances in the slur tournament. Maybe you could even say that sort of it is to uh, point out the stupidity of democracy, but we have fun with it, and we're going to be voting on these uh, final four ones tonight. So, what about slant eyes? Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. We have um, the only one for Asians that I think we have in the bracket is actually the other one in the final four that I haven't mentioned yet, but it's specifically for Vietnamese people. We have pan faced gook. Oh, is, is, okay. in, is yeah. in the tournament. I've, I have heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've heard just gook, but we have pan face gook. And gook was uh, was used by John McCain, the the maverick, the guy that everybody uh, everybody seems to love or not like uh, when Libertarian Party in New Hampshire uh, goes and uh, criticizes him, makes fun of him. Uh, yeah. John McCain was out there calling the Vietnamese gooks. Oh, but it's okay because they uh, made him a prisoner of war or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. I've heard of gooks also, but uh, to be honest, I have not heard of pan faced gooks. What's the pan faced? I think it just, uh, we're, we're going to discuss it on the show again, but, and we have already, but I think it just is kind of a reference to, them having flat faces, I suppose. Like it looks like you got hit in the face with a pan. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, what have you 
what has the Tower Power Hour gotten most in trouble for? Now, trouble is a relative term because that involves like deplatforming, and so you guys don't even care. You wear that as a fucking as a fucking badge of honor, right? Yeah, uh, we don't we don't really care about any of it, really. But um, man, we've gotten into trouble with different people for multiple different things, and it was usually the uh, usually it's the uh, the usual suspects, I guess I would say. Uh, so. Like, yeah, like I said, we did get nuked uh, from YouTube for the genocide tournament, which that was the one nuking that we had on social media so far, as far as our Tower Power Hour accounts go, because we've all individually been nuked, except for Clint, because he's probably a fed. Um, early on in the show, like people would just get mad at us pretty often for just ridiculously stupid shit. Like we had um, the Faker Terrans got mad for one episode. No where, way. No way. They got mad at Of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. Yeah. You would never expect that. They got, they got mad. I think this is the initial one that like kind of put us uh, out there as far as like, oh yeah, now we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're definitely known now because people are getting pissed off, even though nobody watches the figuratarian shit, but this is because I've never, an episode, I've never heard anyone reference them in a positive light. Oh no. They're, they're a bunch of losers. Yeah. Who claim to be libertarians, but really they just, promote like regime narratives and i think they're leftists i would say as well um they get super offended by everything and they don't seem to really prioritize like the worst things that the state does like war or the covid shit or anything like that um but we got in trouble uh this episode was i want to say like episode 19 or somewhere around there we had josh smith on the show and it was a segment of the show where all it was was uh Clint, I think, or somebody made a joke, uh, a reference to how many kids Josh has, and they said he was uh, black because he has so many kids. And then uh, oh my I think, uh, and then I think Clint said, "Oh, but that means, but but Josh isn't black because he actually takes good care of his children, or something, so, something along those lines." And the Fakertarians got really pissed off about that, and I'm like, "That's interesting that that's one of the things that they choose to get mad about because." That was like a three-hour episode. And at some point during that episode, Nick Ashley, who was on it, uh, was pretending to be like a racist, uh, like Tin Pan Alley radio guy <laughs> during the show. Like there were, there were way more offensive bits during that episode than the jokes about Josh's kids. So that happened. Then a bunch of people really got mad at us, different people who you could, I guess, say that our, these people are also loser brigade type people got mad at us for when we had Jeremy Kaufman on the show. Uh, actually, I think the Jeremy Kaufman one happened before that. It was a few episodes before that. We had him on and we had already had him scheduled because we were going to talk about, um, I don't know, something related to New Hampshire because, of course, it was. I think it was the New Hampshire um, when the like regime Libertarian Party in New Hampshire attempted that like coup and they attempted to throw out like the Mises people, if you remember that. Oh yeah, yeah. So we had we had Coffin scheduled because we were going to talk about that, talk about his Twitter antics, and like the night before we were going to have him on, he was on this Libertarian Party national meeting or something. And this kid Gus, who if he's this young, he shouldn't even be in this like Libertarian Party meeting. He was in there like trying to throw Mises caucus people out of the party, and Jeremy Coffin told him to suck his dick. 
not at first knowing how old he was, but then Jeremy Coughlin like doubled down on it. And we thought it was hilarious. We were like, we have to talk about this on the show. So we did briefly talk about that. So then we got in trouble for that and we got accused of being pedos. How, how old was he? I think 15, 16. Oh, I don't know. damn. Okay. I- so Kaufman, yeah, Kaufman had said, suck my dick. As if like you haven't heard that insult coming from another dude in like a high school locker room or anything like that. But then if you go and you look at that kid, Gus's uh, like his Twitter, he, he's gay, which is part of the reason why I think people got pissed off about this. His Twitter timeline was all like, sexualized gay man and stuff like that. And you're like, really, you're going to get mad at Kaufman just for a suck my dick, just, you know, typical insult. So we joked about that on the show. We got in trouble for that one. People just like to find anything that they can to get offended by. And I'm sure that there have been other things more recently that I can't even remember specifically what they were, but occasionally something will come up and we'll get in trouble again. Like, uh, uh, the most recent one, I think, was uh, we had Patriot J on, if you know who he is. Nope. He's a conservative commentator with The Blaze. Nope. Um, yeah, he uh, and he's a, he's a rapper, or at least a former rapper. So we had him on, and we were making fun of Brad Palumbo, who is a gay guy who works at Reason, who takes a lot of progressive stances on things. And we were specifically making fun of Brad for his monkeypox take because he was basically taking the stance that if you point out the fact that monkeypox is rampant specifically among gay men that you're bigoted or homophobic or something like that 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 just for pointing that out so we were making fun of him for that patriot jay called him a faggot and then people got people got mad at us for that and i'm like really like if if you watch that whole episode we like i don't know we said nigger like 20 times in that episode pedro j is a black guy (laughs) we said it in front of him but i don't know people people specifically i don't know they have um i don't even know what's what's the word i'm even looking for here um it's kind of like what the government does with how they uh, decide to enforce laws it's um it's like you you choose like what specific thing you want to get offended by and you don't choose these other things that might be equally offensive at least uh yeah yeah you hear like jordan peterson early was saying the left you got to be careful because the left they're they're demonizing people who say things they don't like and even if you bow to them and you're like oh i'll jump through this hoop and prove that i'm not homophobic or this or that they'll still end up finding a fucking way to turn on you at some point even if you're you know fucking jimmy kimmel right yeah, selective enforcement is what I what I was trying okay, to think of. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Or yeah. So it's like that. It's selective being offensive or being offended, I guess, by yeah, only selective things. You yeah. ma- you mentioned Jeremy Kaufman a couple times there. I'm going to ask. Uh, I think it was yeah. was it on the 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 No Way Jose podcast. Dave Smith was on there recently. Is that is that right? Where he yeah. was he was talking to Clint. And to read, and I think you were on there, and then you guys were all. I wasn't. Uh, Top Lobster, I think, might have been on it. Okay, yeah. Sorry, yeah. so Top Lobster was on there, yeah. not you, but you guys. Yeah, that were- was Jose's uh, Four Pony Four Pony Boys series. I think is what he calls it. It's a it's a spinoff of Reed's Four Horsemen thing. So it's a recurring series with Jose, and I am not one of the chosen people. It's Jose, Clint, Top, and Reed are the four, and they had Dave on as a guest on that one. Okay. But they were talking about, and it sounded like Reed and Dave had a little bit of a disagreement on 
Jeremy Coffin, mm-hmm. Jeremy Kaufman's specific tweet, uh, where he said something along the lines of "I'm libertarian. I ha- I support reparations. I think we should oh, give yeah, yeah. everyone a one way ticket back to Africa." <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. If, if you don't like it, then um, fuck off. Or I forget what it was. Something along those lines. Now, Some, something like that. I don't yeah. think realistically, even Dave Smith thinks Jeremy Kaufman, you know, hates black people. No, and I, I don't think anybody can like look at that and not think that Jeremy Kaufman is being tongue in cheek with that. Like sure. he's obviously joking. Yes. Just to to point out the stupidity of reparations. So the I don't know. I don't remember if that was from his personal account or if it was from the LPNH. I think it account. was his personal account. I'm pretty sure it was his personal oh, really? account. I don't know why Dave would have been that upset about that. Cause I know Dave got mad at the uh, LPNH. Um, McCain. Well, like the Megan McCain. Yeah. Holiday tweet. And then the, the 6 million joke that they made after that. Um, yeah. Like he didn't like the fact that that was coming from an official uh, libertarian account. Uh, I don't know why he'd get as pissed to, uh, about Jeremy Coffin's personal account, although I guess it's maybe it's because people know who he is and he's running for Senate under the libertarian banner. Um, this is another situation where I think uh, people like perceive that there's like this huge rift now between my, like my guys, I guess the tower of power guys and uh, sort of the people that are up top of the LP right now, like Dave, uh, Angela, I guess Scott Horton, those types of guys um maybe malice um just because we we have we definitely disagree on messaging style and strategy and it's really interesting because those people that i just listed like dave all of those people scott yeah angela michael malice like i love all those people like they were definitely part of my becoming a libertarian there were some some they are some of my favorite uh people in the movement people to listen to um like I know Dave and Angela Scott as well. I like I've met all of them, hung out with all of them before. Um, yeah, so like I don't know. People seem to think it's like this personal thing. It's like this rift. I mean, I don't think it's that. I think it's just that um, from their side, I think they. I do think that they're wrong about the uh, about strategy, but I think they sort of took the wrong approach with it too. Where I think what they could have just done is said, "We don't agree with this type of messaging." So we're not going to message that way, which we already knew. Like they're going to message in their own way. And then like the tower guys, LPNH, like they're going to message in the way that they want to as well. And I think that's fine. It's kind of decentralized in that way. So I think that should have been the position. Nobody getting pissed off. Um, like, you know, we're not going to go. I mean, unless LP national under the you know Mises leadership, unless they're out there doing shit like Joe's. Uh, you know, we must be actively anti-racist tweet. I don't think we're going to be like getting pissed at like anything that they tweet, even if they tweet something where we're like, yeah, that's kind of like a boring tweet or something like that. Like, I don't give a shit, like whatever. Um, but I, I do think that LP and style is, I think it's obvious that it's a style that's going to attract way more people, even if, and when you attract more people, you are going to repel more people at the same time. So it's, it's kind of just this inevitable thing, but I think that's better. Like the more eyes you have on it, it's better regardless. And LPNH gained a ton of followers from that. And they're now the most followed state affiliate. I think they overtook maybe Texas or something like that. And Texas's messaging is awful. Um, so the critics of the Mises caucus, of course, which is a relatively small group, the yeah. re- reason and, you know, um, the, you know, 
anyone who was basically a part of the Libertarian Party just a few years ago, they, or at least some of them, say the Mises Caucus and the Libertarian National Party has been overtaken by these crazy, right-wing, openly racist, hateful people, right? Yeah. And Jeremy Kaufman, I think he's Jewish guy. Um, yeah, making, I believe he is. Yeah. yeah, making a joke, and he's trying to say this. You know, he's making a complete joke. He's and it's you know, of course, it is giving fuel, adding fuel to the fire for those critics of the Mises Caucus, right? Because right. they're using that yeah. and they're showing it to your everyday Republican or Democrat, and they're saying, mm-hmm. "Look, this is the guy that the the that's on part of the problem." You know, he's interviewed yep. by Tom Woods. He has this um, right. war is gay video that everyone loves. He's oh, yeah. great running, video. Yeah. Great video. One of a few great videos that he made. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's running for Senate. He's actually running for Senate in New Hampshire. And they, Correct. this is their guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yep. so someone like Dave Smith or Angela or um, yeah, I don't know who else, uh, but they probably would say, hey, let's just do without that. Let's just scale back on that a little bit. Because when you look at it, it takes a minute to, you really need to know Jeremy Kaufman to even understand that he's definitely joking, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if you even know his like Twitter personality, I think you do know that. And by the way, shout out to uh, Dan Smots who made, uh, he makes Jeremy Kaufman's videos and he's yeah probably the top, videographer of the liberty movement he's yeah love dan smots great dude uh his video stuff is awesome uh he he did video for our uh, live uh tower power hour at pork fest as well so okay. shout out for that um yeah and i i mean i think you're also right like i know jeremy uh personally as well like i've hung out with him multiple times uh, he's up in new hampshire so i see him up there when i go up there sometimes um yeah, I mean, he's he's a normal dude. Like, he's a family man. He has young children. He has a wife. Like, I think he's Jewish, like you said, which shouldn't really matter. Um, it probably yeah. means that he's he's not an actual Nazi, probably. Correct. Yeah, I, <laughs> which is interesting that it needs to be addressed. But yes, yeah, he's he's a good yeah principled libertarian. Uh, he likes to have fun with it. He likes to message in ways that are going to be you know, capturing people's attention and make people laugh, which I think, I think that is the way to go. I think that's the way you get more eyes on you. And those critics that are going to call you racist or a Nazi or whatever, they're going to do that anyway. You can't be afraid of that would be the thought. Right. So even if you're going to say something that they're going to harp on and do that, like they're going to find something that you said anyway and do that. So who cares? Like those people, you're not going to reach those people anyway. And then I think the idea is that out of all of the people that see this, they're going to see the content itself. They're going to see those people calling it racist and calling something racist just doesn't mean anything at this point. It, it's been a long time since that's meant anything. So I think more people are going to see the, Hey, these people calling this thing racist are just calling everything racist just for the sake of it. And you know, this thing is actually good and it's funny. I think more people are going to think that way about it than the opposite. But of course, Dave Smith is the, most likely representative as the Libertarian Party for president in 2024. And he is formulating exactly how he will present himself during those campaigns. 
And right. he's trying to be proactive and he's trying to kind of get the house in order. And he's saying, guys, I love you, Jeremy Kaufman. I love this. I love that. Mm-hmm. Let's not make yeah. a joke that actually looks, if someone looks at that tweet, they're going to go, oh my God, this guy's proud to be anti-black people. He's saying, let's distance ourselves from specifically that because he wants to, he doesn't expect to win the presidency. No. But if right. he could get seven or 8% or something crazy, that would be crazy. Uh, you know, that'd be a very high number. I mean, he, he would love to, to make a splash and to positively uh, impact the culture in a good direction. There's, there's a lot of interesting uh, things to say about that, I guess, because um, I mean, Dave obviously is on Legion of Skanks, so he is no stranger to super offensive comedy. Uh, he's been on our show a couple of times. I love Dave. I love Legion of Skanks. Uh, I think he's, yeah, he's a hilarious dude. I uh, love all that comedy. It's hilarious, edgy comedy. Uh, people are going to like dig that stuff up if they want to and be like, hey, this is the guy that's running out of the libertarian movement. And I think, like I said before, I think the majority of people are going to think, hey, that's actually funny. Like, we don't think this guy's actually like legitimately a racist or anything like that. And, you know, like, uh, I mean, Dave is not going to message uh, as far as a political candidate. He's not going to message in the same way that like Jeremy Kaufman does probably, or that LPNH is doing as far as they're tweeting. And like, I think that's also fine. Like um, I will support Dave if he runs, like I will definitely get out there and vote for him. I'll try to support him. Um I think he would be probably the best candidate in the history of the Libertarian Party, besides maybe Ron Paul. Maybe he's maybe he'd be better than Ron Paul. I don't know. Uh, but people have different messaging styles, and that's uh, and that's fine. Um, and then I forget what else was I going to say about that. I forget the other thing that you mentioned, but. Yeah, I was just saying that Dave is trying to differentiate himself from some of those things. And if he gets to seven or, oh, eight, yeah. seven or eight percent, that would be a huge win. He doesn't think he's going to win the presidency. If right, he did, right. if he did, I mean, he'd get in and he'd, you know, shut down the FBI or something. And he'd be killed. Or something. I know that sounds horrible. Yeah, uh, but, uh, it, it would probably would not be pretty. So he doesn't anticipate that. No one thinks Dave Smith is going to be the president of the United States. But if he could get, I don't know, even 6% or something crazy, but then everyone knows who he is and he turns into yeah, like yeah. the second coming of Ron Paul, or uh, but in a cooler, younger way or, you know, something along those lines, it could hopefully positively open many eyes and positively impact the culture. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he can do that. Yeah. Regardless of what the other sort of LP affiliates are kind of doing out there. Um, I think, yeah, the goal of a national run is going to be to message. Like, you know, you're not going to win. It would be cool if you get a higher percentage of the votes than any other libertarian candidate has in the presidential election. That would be cool. But because uh, I'm most, because you could just rub that in the faces of the naysayers. Um, but I think that a candidate like Dave, I think, is going to attract more people than like Joe Jorgensen did or Gary Johnson. I think that's kind of obvious. Dave is like one of the reasons why I am in the liberty movement and why I think many people are. And yeah, I just think that I think he can easily differentiate himself from sort of the other LP affiliates anyway, just by his style of messaging is like not going to be the same as that. We know that. And, you know, I think to an extent, like, yeah, like he's going to portray himself as like he is this father family dude and he has good ideas and he's going to talk about the things that people find to be important. And that's a good way to message as well. I think that's, yeah, that's totally fine. 
And I, yeah, I just don't think that it would really be impacted by LPNH uh, tweeting like a bunch of crazy people, which, and I mean that in a good way. Um, Cause I think that their style is also going to bring a lot of people in and, and has already. So what, if there's one book that you could recommend someone read related to anarchism or libertarian philosophy, if you had to choose just one, is there one that obviously maybe anatomy of the state is kind of a, a softball answer. Uh, mm. But what are your thoughts on that question? Um, I think it depends like who we're recommending this to. We're recommending this to people who aren't libertarians and who are sure. trying to get into it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You can give me a couple different scenarios. You know, uh, if you have a Democrat listening, who I can't believe they're tuned in to this far through the episode, but I'm happy oof. as fuck they are if they are. What would you recommend oof. they read? Okay. Republican who's tuned into this part, this far, what would they read? And then also someone who already leans libertarian. Three-pronged question for you there. Heck, heck of a cur- curveball, huh? The, the Democrat one is going to be hard because I, I think... The, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. The, the Republican or anybody that's kind of maybe interested in like getting into liberty a little bit, I would recommend the same thing that got me into it, which is Ron Paul's revolution, which I think is, that's an easy one to read for people that are considering getting into it, thinking about it. it I think it would be one that appeals to Republicans. Uh, yeah. It, it appeals to common sense, I would say. So that, that is a great one uh, for that, uh, for that purpose uh, and worked on me. Um for Democrat, Democrat, I don't even know what I would recommend for Democrat, to be honest. That's kind of consistent with what you said earlier, that if someone is already looking for an excuse to call you racist at all costs, yeah, they're kind of a lost cause when it comes to mess, right? I mean, am I wrong? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think you're kind of right. I mean, a Democrat, like maybe I could give them like... Um, something like against the grain maybe by um james c james c scott is that his name james g scott not george c scott (laughs) james scott i'm pretty sure is his name he's he's a communist but he is he also i don't think that you can actually be a communist and be an anarchist because if you understand economics i think that would lead you to the realization that communism would wind up requiring a state or you would have to like rely on some form of capitalism. Otherwise the whole system would fail, but he is a communist, but against the grain is a book that kind of talks about like the origins of the state itself and how humans existed prior to the existence of a state, like why states arose, like what were the situations under which they did and how they maintained themselves. And like that, that might, appeal more to a leftist uh, and get them sort of more thinking in anarchist direction. So I might, I might go with that against the grain. Uh, it is a pretty good book and it will, I think it will change your way of thinking. I read it like a couple of years ago as an ANCAP and it's still, it did change my way of thinking a bit. Like there are only a couple of books that I would say like really altered my way of thinking. Um, and for somebody that's already a libertarian, I would recommend uh, the other book that changed my way of thinking, which is a book I already brought up, which is Democracy and the God That Failed. Uh, I mean, it's a book I talk about a lot, but I think it's because it is one of the greatest books that I've read and probably the book that changed my way of thinking the most as far as realizing like how the state shifts um, 
like the incentives, the economic incentives of the entire public to a point where it sort of, it causes this uh, like just de-civilization essentially like over time. So I, if that was what the other question was, as far as like a libertarian who hasn't read that book yet, I think that's like a, a must. I have not read that book, so I'll have to check that one out. Um, uh, I feel I'm pretty familiar with the concept that democracy isn't, you know, it's often used, or not often, it's always used as a way basically to manipulate people. It's like, you like democracy, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you, <laughs> this Ukrainians, they, I mean, they, they have a democracy there. You can't be anti that. So, I mean, it's always, every context, it seems, the word democracy is used in a, a manipulative fashion. Right. I think, I think one of the best points that he makes in that book is that um, under democracy, it completely blurs the lines between who is the ruling class and who is the ruled class. So people think that they are choosing their rulers and they're part of this and they are choosing all this stuff for themselves when that couldn't be further from the case. So I think that's an interesting way to put it. And the way that he sets up that book, of course, uh, he contrasts democracy with monarchy to really his intent is to just uh, kind of formulate maybe the strongest argument against democracy possible. And then people who don't read it properly uh, are like, oh, Hoppe is pro-monarchy, even though he explicitly says in the book that he is not. And he's just using a form of government that he thinks is more stable and in a lot of times more preferable to democracy he's using that to point out the massive flaws in democracy and how much worse it is hmm okay good stuff um toad i appreciate you joining me for the episode today if someone is listening and they like what they hear from you toad how can they follow you on social media of course you have the tower hour power uh tower our power, tower power, tower power hour, tower power hour, tower power hour <laughs> podcast that they can yeah, listen to. But how can they check out what you're into and follow you and, and learn more? Yeah, um, unfortunately, my larger uh, Twitter account that I built up over the last couple of years got nuked uh, when I was at seven thousand or whatever, so that's gone. So I am at tph underscore toad on Twitter, and I'm still out there shit posting and getting a lot of people pissed off on like every side of the Liberty sphere and whatever. Uh, so I'm out there doing that. Uh, and I, yeah, like you said, I do the tower power hour podcast every Wednesday night at nine 11 PM Eastern. So we're doing that tonight and we have our slur tournament final four tonight, like I said, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about some other uh, recent things uh, that have come up and shoot the shit like we usually do. So more than those just, are uh, the, more than just slurs. More than just slurs. Yeah. Sometimes we do talk politics, but usually we're just, yeah, joking around. Just we're talking like a bunch of dudes would talk if they were just hanging out, like in somebody's living room or garage or something like that, just hanging around, shooting the shit, having some beers, even though I'm sober now. <laughs> How long have you been sober? Uh, so I decided to do it in June of 2021. And I did drink a few times since then, unfortunately, but since then I've only had drinks, I think on five different occasions and I've been completely without it now, uh, since April, somewhere in mid April. Do you care to say what prompted that? 
Uh, it was a number of different things, but uh, it was it was definitely becoming a huge problem, especially during the COVID crap, during the lockdowns. Uh, I was drinking way more at home and realizing, wait a minute, I'm drinking. You think that you're not drinking alone because you're like talking to people online, but you're like, no, you're still drinking alone, bro. And I was drinking most nights and having several beers a night usually. And I was really into the craft beer scene for a while. And it hadn't really become a problem because I was able to kind of limit myself when I knew that I had to like get myself home every night and things of that nature. But then once I was just at home all the time, it's like, well, I can drink as much as I want. And it really got out of control. And um, yeah, one of uh, one of the final straws, even though, yeah, I was not, even though I was like a happy drunk, I don't know, I was kind of being an asshole to people. I was just kind of being a drunk asshole online to some extent. Uh, and that, uh, that spurred it on. And then in addition to that, I also did crash my vehicle and put myself in the ER when I'd had a couple of drinks that particular night. It was a situation where a lot of bad factors kind of came into play at once. And it was, it was only me involved in the accident. And you were not like blackout drunk. Right. No, I was not. It was uh, yeah, it was a rainy night at dusk. It was, it's this really bad intersection with a turn that you have to take is just crazy. And you have to completely look behind you to even make the turn and all that stuff just happened at once. And I, yeah, had had a few drinks and luckily for me, the, um, cause it, it was on a state route. So the state police were going to show up, but, uh, the first people on scene were, uh, the town's police and they were not assholes to me. And I was like bleeding from the face. Cause I actually broke my nose and I had a lacerated temple. So they were like, at least concerned that I was, um, like, Hey, not all cops are going to just like completely like go after you like right away when you're in a situation like that. Like, you know, I think they actually like probably felt bad for me at that point. And like, yeah, this guy probably needs medical attention, even though I was saying I was fine and I was actually fine for the most part, just cosmetic damage for the most part. Um, but yeah, so the police from town didn't do anything to me. The EMTs basically were like, like you're going to want to get in the ambulance right now. Cause they were trying to get me, out of there before the state police came in because they didn't know what the state police were going to do. So that's what happened. So I got in the ambulance, went to the ER and they did say like, you know, it it is still protocol that we have to like give you a CT scan and make sure that you don't have like brain damage or anything like that because you did, you know, break your nose and gash your temple open. So it's like, all right. But the, the EMTs, I think saved me from potential legal consequences there. And I was in the ER for five hours, like kind of worried that the state police were going to show up or something, but they did not. And that was, it was a crazy night because it was actually, it was the night that the mask mandate lifted in like May of 2021 or whatever. So everybody was out drinking that night. I went to the bar and I had like, I think I had three or three or four beers that night, which doesn't really, it doesn't put me in a state where I'm totally yeah, like I, I'm like feeling it, but that's about it. So it was, yeah, it was there were a lot of things going on that night. But I think in the ER, there were a lot of people in the ER because they think there were a lot of people committing DUIs that night. So a busy night. Well, I'm sure you got some medical bills from the ambulance and all that fun stuff. So I'm happy that you mm. did not also get like court costs and additional yeah, I, I, uh, arrest type yeah. things. Yeah, I, I have insurance, but uh, the insurance uh, did not pay for very much of it uh, because of the 
because they do test your blood and they said there was as if they say there's any alcohol in it, the insurance is like, nope, we're not gonna do anything. Wow. So actually I think um no, so I think medical insurance did still cover most of it and then um the vehicle insurance didn't cover it. I think is I think is what happened. I'm trying to remember because there were multiple different insurance companies getting involved there, but it was a bad night. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Well, Toad, I really appreciate you joining me. I appreciate <laughs> you introducing. We're stopping on a down level there. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, got a, you got a, uh, got off for a DUI, party time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was good that came out of that. I got, I got a new vehicle. I'm sober. Like, let's go. Yeah, you're, you're feeling you're, good. You're thinking about actually going back, going to church to find a wife. And I mean, it's on an up yeah. t- uptick. Yeah, got to find a wife. Put out an open call for it, man. <laughs> On every podcast. Where's my wife? I love it. Okay, well, Toad, thank you very much for your time. I look forward yeah. to speaking with you again sometime soon. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. You're very welcome. Thank you. I want to thank, thank everyone for tuning in to the Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.